Okay, so we're going to jump into the sermon tonight. So if you have your Bibles, um, if you wouldn't mind getting your Bibles out, if you have a paper Bible, um, turn to Psalm 27. We are in, if you were here last week, you might have remembered that we said we're in like a mini-series in the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at different um, Psalms over the next about month. Kaylee is going to be preaching next Wednesday, so that's going to be a treat. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Psalm is uh, basically in the dead center of your Bible. Um, If you're uh, on your phone and you're wanting to follow along, you can, if you haven't downloaded the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, go ahead and download that. And then if you open the Bible app and tap the right-hand corner where it says um, more, and then you tap events, you will see a bunch of events populate. Click on the one that is Bethel Church, uh, Bethel Youth, and then make sure to save that um, because you will be able to access um, the notes that you write down um, after tonight. And so you may notice if you've used the YouVersion notes in the past, you might notice that they they are looking a little bare, um, and there's not much in there that is intentional. What we're wanting to do is kind of move away from providing all of the, the points for you in the Uversion app and give you space and give you an opportunity to write down the things that maybe stand out to you, uh, maybe the questions that pop up into your head as you're hearing the sermon, maybe as you're hearing the text being read. And so we want to give you space to be able to do that. And also, if you love to like write, Um, on like physical paper, um, you can obviously do that as well. And so as you're turning to Psalm 27 or as you're downloading the YouVersion Bible app, uh, I want to just kind of share some of our guidelines. We haven't shared our guidelines for youth in a couple uh, months, and so I just want to quickly go over that, and then we'll jump into Psalm 27. The first, we have basically have three guidelines. The first one is respect. And so we just want to make sure that we are being respectful of everybody that is around us, the person who might have the microphone or be playing an instrument or the people sitting next to you or in front or behind you. So we just ask that you would keep your conversations um, during the times where we're supposed to be maybe listening or in small groups when we're listening to other people sharing, um, that we keep our conversations to a minimum so that um, the people around us can focus on maybe what the Lord is wanting to show them that's within the passage, or maybe they're wanting to concentrate on um, the lyrics that are being sung, and it's hard to do that when we're just having conversations all around us. Uh, The next thing is um, if you need to use the bathroom, which is obviously totally fine, um, we we basically do it to where one person goes at a time just to help minimize the distractions in here and also just respect the people in um, the room, as well as obviously you're aware we our church is right off of the freeway and so sometimes we have people wandering in and out of the building and we just want to make sure that we keep all of you guys safe because you are our responsibility since your parent or guardians or grandparents, whoever dropped you off. And so we just want to make sure that we're keeping you safe. Um, and then the the next thing I want to do, if you um, are in a relationship, you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, congratulations. We are totally not against relationships. But we just want to make sure that when um, you are together, that you um, are not displaying your affections um, to each other in a way that is one stop distracting to um, the people around you. But honestly, um, I was a teenager once. I I had relationship 
a relationship when I was in high school. And here's the thing. When you're sitting next to your boyfriend or girlfriend and maybe you're holding their hands or you're just getting all snuggly or whatever, the, the reality is, is you're not paying attention to anything else, right? Let's just be honest. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. You are thinking about that person. You are thinking about, um, you know, what you're going to, how you're going to hang out over the weekend or the, go on a date or do whatever. And so we just want to take the next like 45 minutes and just focus on what the Lord has for us through his word and through small group time. And so we just ask that you just focus on that. And also we want to be respectful of other people's boundaries. And um, we want to make sure that our relationships are honoring to Jesus. And so those are our guidelines. Uh, basically, it all it falls under the umbrella of respect. And so we love you all so much, and um, we need some guidelines and some guardrails to make sure that this is an environment that is welcoming and honoring to all people. So with all that being said, let's jump into uh, our sermon for tonight. Um, I'm not one to title sermons. It's not something that I do very often, but um, I took the time to title this sermon. So if you are taking notes and you want to remember the title, the title is, is God is Our Shelter. So we're going to be talking about that today because I believe that Psalm 27 verses 1 through 6, this is a main theme of how do we find shelter, how do we find refuge um, within a relationship with God. And um, by my observations, one of the most prominent emotions that motivate us any guesses? What are maybe some of the most primary uh, emotions that motivate us to do things? Yeah. Love. That's great. Anybody else? Yeah, Joey. Good? Like doing good or whatever? Okay. Yeah, go for it. Fear? Okay. Jaden. Huh? Anger? Yeah. Anybody else? What are some emotions that drive us to do things? Austin. Impulse. Those are all super, super good. I think it's important for us as human beings to recognize and be self-aware of what, what is my motivation in doing something. And as we look at, at Psalm 27, we, we are seeing this, this emotion of fear. And fear is one of the primary motivators. One of you guys said it. I think it was Kaylee um, said that fear is an incredible motivator. Um, it drives us to do or not to do certain things. Um, fear of being made fun of um, will can drive us to not share our hobbies and interests with others, depending on what it is. Maybe it's, quote, nerdy, or it's not a part of the image that you want to create. And so maybe you don't share those hobbies with other people because you don't want people to make fun of you. I think another way that fear motivates us is um, maybe fear of rejection can cause us to keep to ourselves and not to pursue friendships. Um, fear of being alone can cause us to be in relationships we know aren't healthy or helpful. Fear can cause us to shrink back and not live a life congruent with our profession of faith in Jesus. And as Christians, we can quickly believe that we must not have fear. That in order to have faith, our life must be at fully absent of fear. We read verses um, like in 2 Timothy chapter 2 or chapter 1, verse 7. Um, the Apostle Paul is, is writing this letter to this guy named Timothy. He's pastoring a church and he's telling him not to have a quote spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And oftentimes we can misinterpret verses like this and conclude that the presence of fear in our life means we lack the faith needed to be in right standing with God. But here's the thing, it's not a correct doctrine. Fear is a part 
of our human existence. But there are things that a believer can do to trust in God's sovereignty and his plans for us, no matter what. So that does not mean that you will never experience fear again in your life, but you must have a deep dependence on God. And so we're going to dive into this in Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. So if you would stand with me, Carson's going to come, and he is going to read Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6 in the New International Version. Can you give a hand to Carson as he comes? Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. All right. How y'all doing? Wait, which one is it? Uh, the one up top. The Lord, my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, by heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even when I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord is the only, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him, him in his temple. For in the day of, the, of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Awesome job. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, so if we were to summarize verses 1 through 6, if we were to read it a few times, a practice that I have is um, I underline um, key words and key phrases within the verses, and it helps me understand what those uh, main thoughts are. So if you were to summarize verses 1 through 6, you could summarize it this way. We find shelter in the presence of God. And just to give a little bit of context to Psalm 27, this chapter is written by King David, a man who is recorded, quote, as a man after God's own heart. Um, He was a man who submitted himself to God's will and led the nation of Israel to awe and reverence of God. He led them to a place of dependence on God as their strength, hope, and peace. But on the flip side of that, David was also a sinful, imperfect person. He had his times of wandering, sin, and corruption. But at the end of the day, David lived a life of repentance and faithfulness to God. And the book of Psalms is largely a reflection of David's relationship with God. And we read of his honesty and transparency to God. And David felt things deeply and also deeply trusted in God's sovereignty. And those are attributes that I wish and I hope for us as a church community, that we would be people that are honest and real with God, but open and willing to be changed and formed into Christ-likeness. And so there are some key themes um, in this psalm that I want us to look at and process what it looks like and what it means for us today. So if we look at the first three verses, verses one through three, we find that David is expressing his confidence in the presence of God. Let's read it one more time. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
And he responds and he says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So we don't know exactly what events David is referring to in verses two through three, where he says his enemies are advancing to devour me, though an army besiege me, though war break out against me. Yet within these things taking place, he believes that God is his light, his salvation, his stronghold, and his confidence. So in these few verses, we learn about David's deep trust that no matter what takes place, he finds his confidence not in his ability, but in who God is. So so David uses uh, the word stronghold in verse 1 to describe a crucial part of God's character. The word stronghold means a place of refuge. Um, In ancient times, a stronghold was a defensive structure that protected people from outside attacks. So structures would be placed in certain areas to bring protection against attacks from the enemy. And these strongholds brought confidence to the people finding refuge within these structures. And so what we see here is David using this picture of a stronghold to describe how he finds comfort, confidence, and protection. And knowing God is our stronghold and refuge is huge. So it's huge for if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, if you profess to be a Christian, knowing that God is your strength, your stronghold, and refuge is big. But as I said at the beginning of the sermon, uh, fear is a real emotion that we all experience. You and I probably don't have um, armies pursuing us to devour us. I mean, I don't know you all on a deep personal level, but I don't think we have armies and nations that are personally coming um, to destroy you. But that doesn't negate the reality that fear can paralyze us. And David found relief from his fear, not through his strength of the plan that he put into place. It was by being in community with God that he found light and he found relief. So David chooses to trust amid these events. But what comes next in verses four through six uh, is where he explains how he found refuge in the Lord. So verses... Four through six, it says this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So verses four through six is talking about how David, he says that he, his refuge comes from dwelling with God. And we see um, very clearly in verses four through six, this is what we see. But the question is though, is what does it mean to quote, dwell with God? Another way to put it is, how do we live in communion with God? 
So the house, temple, and tent that's referenced in verses four through six are all referring to the visible expression of the presence of God. So in this time period and in this culture of ancient Jewish people, um, there would be a tent um, or a temple or a building that would represent um, the presence of God to the people. The people would then come to this place to worship and to express their devotion to God. And part of their worship was of God was to dwell. Part of their worship was to be where God's presence was displayed in this tent and in this building. And part of their worship was also to learn the commands of God. And David says that these rhythms keep his confidence in the Lord no matter the situation. John Piper said this when talking about communion with God. He says, communion with God is not merely learning about God, but enjoying fellowship with God in the truth he reveals about himself. So how might we apply this truth to our life? What does it mean to practically find our stronghold and refuge in God amid hard times and fear? What does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord? If dwelling with God no longer means being in the temple or a building because of what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection, what does it mean? Because in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what, what John is telling us here is that Jesus was the embodiment of the presence of God and that God came to dwell among his people in the person of Jesus. And so when Jesus died on the cross for the world's sins, he opened up the door for direct access to the presence of God. We no longer find his presence in a building, but within a people. This people is what Jesus describes as the church and is part of God's presence being expressed to the world. So could it be that part of, quote, dwelling in the house of the Lord is living in community and proximity with fellow believers? Part of how we dwell is to learn the commands of God and how to be formed into the likeness of God. Through environments like this, environments like winter camp and small groups that are launching in February, those are environments where we can find refuge and dwell in the presence of God. It's within those relationships we also find encouragement to continue to find refuge in the Lord and not on our own abilities, plans, or strength. So if you were to summarize all of what was said, I think you could summarize it this way. We find comfort and refuge in God through his presence and church. So what we're going to do is we're going to take about the next 20 minutes and we are going to talk through a series of questions and we're going to process and figure out what does it mean to practically um, dwell and what does it mean for us on a day-to-day -day basis to dwell in the presence of God and be um, in proximity with one another and what, what do those things mean practically. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to release to our small groups and, um, and then we'll uh, closing there. Jesus, we thank you that you embodied the presence of God, that it was through your life, through your death and resurrection that we have this direct access with the presence of God.
And I pray that over these next few moments, as we break up into our small groups and as we uh, discuss these different questions, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal things about us that we didn't know, that you would reveal to us the things that we've been holding on to tightly. Would you reveal to us the things that we've been trying to do on our own instead of resting and dwelling in the refuge of you? So, Lord, be with us as we, um, as we talk, and uh, we pray that we have a productive conversation. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you.